At this time, we are going to read from God's holy word. We actually have two scripture readings. Uh, the first is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The second is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Uh, this is printed in your bulletin, or you can find it in your, uh, in your Bibles. So I exhort to the elders among you, as a, follow, a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And now for John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, "Um, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you, were, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show that what kind of death he was, he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Father, we come before you with thanksgiving thankful for everything we have already rehearsed this morning in our worship together, acknowledging that you are a holy God, inviting us into your presence, but we have fallen short of your glory and find ourselves in desperate need of your mercy displayed to uh, for us at the cross in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we respond to your goodness to us with the giving of our tithes offerings and gifts, and we ask that you would use these for the furthering of your kingdom in this world in order that the wonder, wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we prepare now to come together to sit under the teaching of your word, to hear again that wonderful good news of the gospel, we pray that you would open our hearts by your spirit and that by your spirit, you would take your word and write it upon our hearts. Comfort us where we need comfort. Afflict us where we need to be afflicted. Rebuke us and conform us into the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, we started a, a brief series on the shape of ministry in the church. And what we've been saying is that The redemptive mission of the church is a ministry of word and deed. Its its mission is to bring healing 
to brokenness through word and deed. And this ministry and this mission of the church takes its shape under the offices of elder and deacon, respectively. And I, I just want to, as we get started this morning, I, I want to remind you briefly of the illustration that we used to start this brief little series about how in the 1996 Summer Olympics, the kayak races were held on the Ocoee River in, in Tennessee. And this kayak uh, slalom course um, that was designed it's on the Ocoee River, it's actually the only in-river course ever used in an Olympic competition. Every other course that's been used has been entirely man-made. And so to get this in-river course in shape for the Olympics, they had to do a lot of work to get it ready. They had to come in and they had to cement these huge boulders in the riverbed in order to create the right amount of drops and the right amount of eddies and all that kind of stuff. They had to narrow the river by two-thirds in order to create the proper stream flow for... um, for this course, they it was necessary for them to shape the channel of the river just so in order to create the proper slope for the course. They had to do all of these things they took. And what they were doing is they were taking the natural organic force and power of that river and having harnessed it and directed it and channeled it. They had built this effective kayak slalom course. Now, listen, when you read through the Bible, you see that a part of the wonder of the Christian life is its natural and organic growth, right? It's no accident that Jesus himself, you know, he often talks about the transformation that the gospel brings in in terms of things like fruit, right? Uh, This is the good news of the gospel, that that it takes dead people, And makes them alive. When the gospel gets down into the roots of your life. When it gets into the core of your life. The result is natural transformation. Not mere reformation of behavior. But real substantive. Right? Organic change. Fruit. But here's the question. How does that natural organic fruit get directed in its growth? Right. Or or to use my little illustration of the Ocoee River, how does the life giving, transforming power of the gospel flow into our lives, into our community and into the world? That's the question. The church, we are saying, needs a structure, right, or or organization that channels and harnesses and reflects its ministry of word and deed. Last week, we looked at the ministry of deed. See, deed ministry, it's aimed, we said, at the real, practical, tangible, felt needs that are a result of the fall. To feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to welcome the stranger, to visit the prisoners, to visit the sick. When the gospel comes home and rests in our hearts, it moves us to respond to the brokenness around us. With mercy and in this deed ministry. And today we're going to look at the office of elder and the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word is aimed at brokenness that is real and significant, but it's it's more difficult to see. It's more difficult to feel right. It is aimed, though, at the root of all our brokenness. The ministry of the word is aimed at our alienation from God himself. The church and you and I need both a ministry 
of deed and of word. And so today we're going to use this passage from first Peter chapter five and John chapter 21 to see to see this ministry of the word. We're going to look at the elders duty. We're going to look at the elders heart. And finally, we're going to look at the elders reason. And as we go, I am hoping that you will see how each point is really built on the one that follows it. Right. In other words, the duty of the elder springs from a certain kind of heart. And that certain kind of heart is produced by a certain reason. Okay, first, the duty of the elder. Real simple. The elder is to be a shepherd of God's flock, right? The beginning of verse 2 in First Peter chapter 5. But before we get there, you need to back up to verse 1 and notice something. How Peter writes, So I exhort or appeal to, to the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So how is it that Peter exhorts or appeals to these elders? I mean, you think about it, certainly, I mean, this is Peter, right? If he wanted to, he could have thrown his weight around, right? I mean, he could have said, hey, pay attention. I'm one of the 12, the apostles. Beyond that, I'm one of the inner circle of even that group of people. I'm an apostle. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Be shepherds of the sheep. But he, but he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he writes, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Right. I witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. And I, like you, I'm a partaker in that glory that is going to be revealed. I'm a fellow elder. And when I urge you men to be shepherds, I'm reminded of my same calling in life. He's saying the image of shepherd, it runs all throughout the Bible and it's used all over Scripture. And of course, this morning, we're hitting the tops of the trees here, right? There's a lot more that we could say about the duty of elder than we're going to say this morning. But listen, for Peter, you've got to know that when he used the word shepherd to describe his calling and the calling of all elders, he certainly had this scene in John chapter 21 etched and burned into his mind. I mean, it comes at the end of John's gospel account when the resurrected Jesus is appearing to the disciples and having a conversation with Peter in particular. I mean, how could Peter ever forget this? Three times Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? And every time Simon Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Every time he said that, Jesus said this, then feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you think Jesus just maybe might be making a big point here? Right. I mentioned this just a moment ago. The ministry of deed, it brings hope and healing to the brokenness that you and I can so easily see. The hunger, the thirst, the alienation, the nakedness, the sickness, the captivity. But see, Jesus is saying to Peter, he is saying, feed my sheep and feed them with my word. Use the word to reveal the deep unseen hunger, the thirst, the alienation, the nakedness, the sickness and captivity in the lives of people. Use the word to reveal not a religious code, but a savior who can satisfy the deepest hunger and deepest thirst in your life. You know, my kids, they have these cool 
magical uh, markers. Not magic markers, magical markers. You've got to understand. Um, these magical markers, they're sold with this special paper. So you go to the store and you buy this box, and it's actually kind of expensive. But you open the box and you see blank white paper and markers that draw in clear, invisible ink. And um, so if you didn't know what was going on, you would think, um, I want my money back. I just paid good money for blank paper and markers that don't work. But, um, but of course, they're magical, right? Um, so you put this special pen to this special paper, and you start to draw, and before your very eyes, these colors and these shapes and these pictures start to appear on the paper, it's not a perfect illustration, I, I know. But listen, the duty of the elder is to shepherd the flock with the word. And when that happens, colors and shapes and pictures begin to appear that you never saw before. Right? The word says that what lies behind what we often see is very, very good things in this world. What lies behind your drivenness and your ambition, your busy shame, your search for fulfillment, your appearance, your reputation, your lonely insecurity, even your being good and religious in this life. What lies underneath all of it is this deeper hunger, this thirst, this alienation, this nakedness. The sickness and captivity in your life. Rules and achievement and moral codes and approval cannot satisfy that hunger. Cannot quench that thirst. The duty of the elder is to take you to the word so that you can feast on Jesus to quench your thirst. Not with water that leaves you thirsty again. Right? Approval, a stable career, a spouse, a healthy bank account, whatever it is. But with the living water, with Jesus himself. The duty of the elder is to take you to Jesus to cover your nakedness with his incorruptible robes of righteousness to welcome you, the stranger, all the way in through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and give you rest through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus to heal your sickness and to set you free from the deeper slavery in your life to greed, to reputation, to lust, to self-centeredness, to power and comfort you need. And I need this ministry of the word. You need shepherds that will feed you the word of Jesus. Okay, second, the heart. See, this duty to shepherd and feed the flock, it flows from a particular kind of heart. See, you need to understand that the calling to expose the deeper hunger in people's lives, right, and lead people to Jesus, it is not a simple calling, and it is not an easy calling. So what kind of heart embraces this kind of duty? That's the question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something pretty bluntly, and then I'll try to explain w- what I mean by this. The kind of shepherd or elder that you need, that you really need, is one that doesn't need you. You know, research has been done on the benefits of pet ownerships, uh, of pet ownership. My, we're pet owners in, uh, in our family, and it's pretty easy. You can get on the Internet, you can find all kinds of information about this, how pet owners are less likely to suffer from depression than people that don't own pets, um, how pet owners across the board have lower 
blood pressure. Um, have pet owners have lower triglyceride and cholesterol levels? Heart attack patients that have pets survive longer than those that don't have pets, right? There's, there's a lot more. But my point is that there are all these recognizable right, and researched benefits from owning pets, right? So much so that right, they, they have these special organizations that, you know, for, for the elderly or the sick, they actually give pets to these people. Um, but here's my point. Sheep are not pets, right? They aren't companions, right? Especially to shepherds. I mean, a dog wags its tail in excitement to see you and, you know, even cats. I'm not a cat person, but they're, they can be friendly sometimes, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, they play with you and that, that kind of thing. But sheep, they offer no benefit to shepherds. You know, shepherds, they feed them, they protect them, they shelter them, they lead them, they go and find them when they're lost. I mean, it's certainly not a mutually beneficial relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. The kind of shepherd or elder you need is one that doesn't need you. Back to that passage in John's gospel real quick. I'm sorry for all the back and forth this morning. It's an unusual kind of sermon for me to preach. But in John 21, verse 17, Jesus tells Peter for the third time, feed my sheep. And then he says this in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. And carry you where you do not want to go. Then it says this in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Kind of a cryptic statement uh, there of Jesus in verse 18. But Jesus is talking about Peter's death. And history tells us that that he did die with his hands stretched out. Carried to a place he did not want to go. Because Peter was like his Savior, put to death by crucifixion. See, Jesus is saying, Peter, you are going to pour out your life in such vulnerable sacrifice to feed the sheep that it is going to lead even eventually to your death on a cross. You need a shepherd who so doesn't need you that he is willing to lay down his life and die for you to give you what you need without needing anything in return. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I think you see the same thing. See, in verses 2 and 3, he says, he's talking about their duty, and he says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's a little too much to get into all the details this morning. But you see the thrust of what Peter is saying, right? He's saying the the elder's heart isn't driven by a desire to get from the sheep. You know, uh, to get from the sheep a peaceful conscience, monetary gain or security, to have power over others, to gain reputation, whatever it might be. Peter is saying that the elder is to be free from needing anything from the sheep. The shepherd isn't in it for himself. He's in it for the sheep and everything he does, he does for the sheep, not expecting anything in return. The kind of shepherd you need is a shepherd that doesn't need you. Look, maybe it sounds kind of arrogant to talk talk like that. Shepherds don't really need you. After all, we all need each other. 
But if you start thinking like you're pushing it way too far, because that is true. But what I'm talking about and what Peter is talking about is men who are free from neediness. Right? Look, we all know this. There is nothing quite so attractive as someone who is so unneedy, so fulfilled, so at peace and so secure that they don't need the approval of others. They don't use others to feel significant or to give them security. Someone who is so free that they can be completely vulnerable and transparent with the people around them. Someone who is so free that they can live completely sacrificial lives for others because they don't need to constantly calculate the, the costs and the risks and the benefit or not. Someone who is so free that cr- criticism could never crush them. Someone who is so free that encouragement would never puff them up, right? You want to know someone like that. I want to know people like that, right? Just to be close to someone like that. I mean, it's beautiful. People like this are both utterly confusing and beautiful at the same time. I'm like a kid every year on the 4th of July when it rolls around. I love watching fireworks. Um, and, And I've never taken the time to think about how these things are manufactured and put together, um, how, how someone puts those things together, and, you know, you light them and they shoot off, you know, a million, not a million feet, thousands of feet, maybe into the air. Um, and they explode just so, and all these patterns and all that, how do they put all that stuff together to, and know that it's going to do that? And every year I tell myself, you know, I, I got to watch a documentary or something. I got to figure this out. How do they do it? But I never do. Um, and, and I'm content to be captivated by the mystery and the beauty You need shepherds. You need shepherds who baffle you with their vulnerability and sacrifice. You need elders who puzzle you with their lack of neediness. You need shepherds who are so free and so fulfilled and so secure that they live to give and not to get. Men who can take you to the word and expose your deeper hunger and your deeper thirst without ever fearing how you might respond to it. You need men that are bold like that and free to be that bold. You need men who can take you to the word and show you Jesus purely for your benefit, your peace, your fulfillment, your joy. Shepherds whose hearts run to their duty to the flock eagerly and willingly, as Peter says. Okay, finally, the reason this is where we're going to try and pull this all together. You know, I'm content once a year on the 4th of July to be a kid and just be amazed by the mystery and the wonder of these fireworks, right? Uh, without knowing how it happens. But you and I, we cannot be content to know, to not know how these shepherds that Peter describes are so free and yet so sacrificial at the same time. And I think you know why. It's because you and I, as much as we long to be close to someone like that and near them, We long to be people like that, that can be that free, right? That unneedy. I don't even know if that's a word, but I've been using it over and over. That fulfilled. So lastly, the reason why, or maybe better, how in the world is this even possible? Peter says in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's more that I wish that uh, we could say about this that we'll have time. We'll just have to leave for another time. But listen, Peter is saying, I appeal to you fellow elders to be shepherds of the flock because we serve the chief shepherd, 
the great shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd. I didn't include it in the reading of John 21, but Jesus, you see, he had built a a fire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when he appeared to these disciples, where he met Peter after the resurrection. Why did Jesus build a fire and then ask Peter three times, three times, do you love me? Do you remember what Peter did when Jesus foretold his betrayal and crucifixion? He was so cocky, so self-righteous, so full of himself, so arrogant. I'll just paraphrase what he said. Hey, Jesus, even if all these other jokers leave you, I'll never leave you. I mean, if it comes down to it, Jesus, I'll go down with you, is what he was saying. That same night, that same night after Jesus had been arrested, Peter was standing by, you guessed it, a fire. And at that fire, someone came up to him and approached him and said, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus. Hopefully the story is coming back to you. You remember Peter, he flatly and boldly and publicly denied knowing Jesus. Right. And then someone else identified Peter as a disciple and he denied it again. And a third time someone identified him. And this is what it says in Mark's account. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you were talking about. Look, to be fair, all of the disciples blew it, right? But at the same time, none of them blew it like Peter. Right. When push came to shove, Peter, he tipped his hand to his true love himself. Right. His own safety, his own security, his own fears, his own reputation. Do you think Peter missed all these clues that Jesus was giving him? A fire, asking him again three times, paralleling his three-time denial of Jesus? Of course not. You know, because of the way our hearts work, we we see that scene, and the first thing we think think is, yikes, what what a guilt trip, Jesus. (laughs) Um, But see, you got to understand that that is not at all what is happening in that passage. Jesus is saying to Peter this. He's saying, Peter... Because you blew it worse than all the others, I'm going to make you the biggest trophy of my grace. I'm going to take your great failures in life and I'm going to plunge them into my greater grace and make you the greatest shepherd of them all. And once it sinks in, it will make you so like me that you will end up dying just like me. Do you know, once it sinks in, you will be free and totally vulnerable and yet so unneedy, totally sacrificial and yet completely fulfilled, totally free and yet constrained by love. Think about this exchange that Jesus has with Peter just a second longer. Here they are on the on the shore, right? And Jesus doesn't let Peter off the hook, does he? I mean, he is forcing Peter to remember those denials, to face his brokenness, to look into his deep hunger and thirst and alienation and captivity. 
He is saying you are so full of yourself, so arrogant, so cocky, so self-righteous. Even if all those others leave, I'll never leave. And Jesus is pushing Peter beyond the charade to embrace reality. His deep, deep brokenness. But at the exact same time Jesus is doing that, he is totally affirming Peter. Right, Peter, my love and grace is enough to satisfy your hunger, your thirst. It's enough to bring you all the way in to me. Do you realize, Peter, that my grace is always bigger than your biggest sin? You know what Jesus is doing by revealing Peter's previously unseen brokenness and reminding Peter of his grace? He's being the great shepherd. He is being the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. John, who tells us about this exchange, is the same one who recorded Jesus saying this in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Friends, when that sinks into your bones. Right. I mean, gets all the way down into the core of who you are. When that sinks in and it finally dawns on you and it's real to you, you are free. You become free of your neediness and you're no longer crushed by criticism. I mean, what do they know? And you're no longer puffed up or arrogant when you're complicated, complimented. You, be, you become so fulfilled, so secure, so at peace that you can finally stop calculating what's in it for you in this relationship. You know, there are plenty of applications here, but I'm just going to leave you with two this morning. First, I would say this to you. Don't you dare sell yourself short. I mean, this is what you need. Shepherds who are so captivated with the love of Jesus that they don't need you. You need shepherds who are broken. You need shepherds who know the good shepherd intimately. Men who are broken and clinging to grace. You need men who are gifted to take you to the word and show you your deep hunger and let you feast on Jesus. But second, I do want to say this. Do you know what hinders what hinders the work of your earthly shepherds and ultimately your good shepherd? It's usually not what you think, Um, you know, that deep, dark, secret sin or or those multiple dark, deep, deep, secret sins that you you're scared to share with anybody. Learn from Peter. You cannot out sin Jesus's grace. You can't do it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. Come to Jesus and you can find rest. He will give it. He is the good shepherd. Now, listen, the thing that hinders the work of your earthly shepherds and ultimately the good shepherd is your smug self-righteousness. What Jesus wants from you is the same thing he wanted from Peter, which is reality. Whatever your reason for avoiding reality, maybe it's shame, maybe it's pride, maybe it's a combination of those two. Maybe it's a fear of being crushed under the weight of it. Go down into the depths of your brokenness and face reality. And the gospel says this. You will find a savior who went deeper. Who went all the way down. Who loved you all the way to 
and through the cross. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because it comes and it opens us up. It exposes us. And so often we confess that we try to avoid the reality. We're afraid we'll be crushed by the weight of our brokenness. Out of shame and pride, we think that we're somehow unique and that you couldn't possibly save us. But Father, we pray that you would forgive us for those thoughts. Pray that you would help us to turn from our self-righteousness, turn from our arrogance, turn from ourselves. Help us to turn from ourselves and rest in Jesus. And we pray that it would build within us hearts that are so free. That we are so fulfilled and so at peace and so secure in your love for us. That we're free to be vulnerable and sacrificial. That we're free to give our lives for others without calculating the benefits. Father, set us free. And pray for this young church that you would raise up men. That you would raise up men that fit this description for us. Because we know we need it. We need men like this. Who can take us to the word. And show us Jesus. We need men like this. Who can lead the flock. Without using the flock. We need men. Who will follow. The good shepherd. And lay down their lives. For the sheep. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.